Once again, we discovered two distinct paths. The old and beaten down path that was first traveled by Adam and Eve as they searched for knowledge apart from God. A path that has been well trodden down by countless multitudes through the ages. And the second was first traveled by the feet of Jesus, who gives us access to receive the free gift, the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, in order that we will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. You're looking too far for that need you have. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're concluding Romans chapter 5, looking at verses 12 through 21, titled this, The Free Gift. I titled it that because... Uh, We'll read those words three times in this passage. So today we're going to see the free gift in verses 12 through 21 of Romans chapter 5. And we're first going to see in verses 12 through 14, death reigned because of one. In verses 15 through 17, life reigns because of one. In verses 18 through 21, grace reigns through righteousness. Lord, we pray that you'd bless this time and bless your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 16, Paul continues, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came through many offenses resulted in justification. Paul continues to contrast are two federal heads, that of Adam and Jesus. From Adam was the gift of condemnation. Thank you very much, Adam. Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. It's kind of like James saying, break one point of the law, you've broken them all. The curse is upon us because God set forth the law that we should, mankind should walk in obedience to them. But remember, Adam only had one law and he couldn't keep one law. Later on, at the time of Moses, God gave 10 laws. If we can't keep one law, we can't keep 10 laws. The Jews trying to understand the 10 laws took and worked it out 
where they made 613 laws, uh, 365 don'ts, one for every day. You know, I, I haven't seen that list yet, but maybe we could have that promise box. Uh, we could develop one, maybe make a lot of money, maybe not, of the law that we could break every single day of the year. But we have those promises, uh, the don'ts, and then the remainder of the 613, the do's. Those things we should be doing, those things we shouldn't be doing. And the only reason the uh, Torah came up with the 613, they were trying to better define, but they understood that we can't keep these, so we, what's the primary laws? They even asked Jesus, what's the main laws we should be keeping? And Jesus would respond, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And in these, you keep the heart of the commandments. But we can't do that. We fail in doing that. From Adam came the gift of condemnation. Because of the condemnation, death reigned because of one. I was thinking about that death reign. We're born to die. You've probably heard of that phrase before, and I, I googled that this week. I'm not suggesting that you look up your answers, but this is, uh, I thought, was a little uh, humorous because what came up first was Yahoo Answers. Just a thought, perhaps we shouldn't seek deep and great philosophical and theological uh, questions from Yahoo, but our world is doing it. And so someone had asked, what does we were born to die mean? And so if you've ever seen Yahoo Answers, they always put the best answer at the top. It had nothing to do with the Bible, so it's not the true answer, it's just what they feel is the best answer. So I quote, everything you do in life, everything you achieve, however successful you become, it doesn't matter because you're going to die anyways. Okay, so that's being a bit more pessimistic than necessary, but that's basically it. This statement is somewhat asking what the point of life is, whether it really matters, because in the end, we all die no matter who we are. Again, maybe Yahoo Answers isn't the place to go get your answers from. But it's there. It means people are searching these deep questions, not only talking about life, but eternal life, and they're going to the internet and to sources and going away from the Word of God. It reminded me of something... Uh, Pastor Chuck, I heard him say it from the pulpit or on recordings over and over again. He would often say, there's only one life, it will soon be passed, and only what you do for Christ will last. In this life, we need to know that there is a purpose, an eternal purpose. Yes, we are born to die, but it also reminded me of that saying, that perhaps I've said it here in the pulpit before, but I only have rehashed it because I grew up hearing it. You're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. It speaks about uh, being born once 
in the flesh. You'll die both as Adam and Eve discovered, both spiritual and physical death. But if you're born twice, born physically and spiritually, then you only die physically and spiritually. We live forever. Comparing Adam to Jesus, we discover from Jesus comes the gift of justification. The free gift came from many offenses because Jesus died for the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the gift of salvation results in our justification. We learned in chapter 4 that Abraham's justification came by faith 430 years before the law was ever given. And then about 450 years after the law was given, David discovered that his justification also came by faith, not by the keeping of the law. And Paul used these two men to show that our justification before God does not come by works, but it comes by faith in the work of the one, Jesus Christ. In Acts 13, 38 and 39, it says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things, which could not be justified by the works of the law. It's by him, by Jesus, that we are justified. Our justification, just as if we have never sinned, it comes by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We discover in verse 17 that life reigns through the one. For if by one man's offense... Death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So those who receive abundance of grace, it means to accept, uh, to get hold of. It comes by faith, through faith. In John 3.11 says, Most assuredly I say to you, we speak, what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Jesus talking to Nicodemus saying, we speak, we know, we testify what we have seen. And if you look in the New King James, they make the we with a capital W. That's not in the Greek, by the way, but the translators of the New King James feel that Jesus is saying, we, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in that sense, we speak, we know, we testify what we've seen. It could have included John the Baptist. It could have included the prophets uh, before them. And it could have included all this. But Jesus declared that even though the witness has gone forth, the majority of the people do not receive the testimony into their hearts. The majority of the people do not believe. In Romans 5, 17, we discover two distinct paths. The first is an old and beaten down path that was first traveled by Adam and Eve. 
as they sought to become like God. And although they sought knowledge and life, all they found was death being deceived by Satan, who told Eve concerning the eating of the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3, 4 through 6, Satan said, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. For by one man's offense, it's a word that Strong says, uh, a sidestep or a side slip. Vines called it a false step, a trespass. By one man's offense, and since the fall, there have been many offenses, many trespasses, whether intentional or unintentional, yet they all tie back to that first offense. Through the one man, Adam, came sin, and from sin came death. And therefore, if death reigned through the one, Adam, Paul says, how much more then will life reign through the one, Jesus Christ? Once again, we discovered two distinct paths. The old and beaten down path that was first traveled by Adam and Eve as they searched for knowledge apart from God, a path that has been well trodden down by countless multitudes through the ages. And the second was first traveled by the feet of Jesus, who gives us access to receive the free gift, the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, in order that we will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And life reigns because of the one who gave his life upon the cross. We discover in verses 18 through 21 that grace reigns through righteousness. Verses 18 and 19, one man's obedience. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, were many made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Adam's offense brought God's judgment and condemnation on all his descendants. But in contrast, Jesus' righteous act made the free gift available, the gift of salvation available, which has resulted in the justification and life too many, those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, 11, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by the, his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. My righteous servant, Jesus Christ, he will justify many as he bore our iniquities there on the cross. And Paul reiterates his point in verse 19, by referring to Adam's disobedience versus Jesus' obedience, by Adam's disobedience, many, all, were made sinners. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Yet by Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. And the key here is Jesus' obedience, not our own. Remember, it's a free gift. It's something that we cannot earn. It's only something that we can receive by faith in the one who paid the debt of our sin in our behalf. The key is the obedience of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Jesus humbled himself by setting aside his deity to come in the likeness of men. And then he showed true obedience to his father by dying upon the cross. In Hebrews 5.8, it tells us, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In verse 9, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Because of the obedience of Jesus Christ, where he went to the cross and suffered and died, but rose again from the grave, he then becomes the author of eternal salvation uh, through all who obey him. And so it's an issue of obedience. Jesus obeying the will of his Father and learning obedience through his suffering on the cross. But us as believers, as his followers, learning obedience through faith in the work of Jesus Christ, who is the author of eternal salvation. Jesus came in the appearance of man to pay the debt that we could never pay. And Jesus showed true humility and obedience to God, his Father, that we might be made righteous through him. It is a, a great gift, this charisma, this God-given grace, and it only comes by God's grace. As Paul says in our last two verses, verses 20 and 21, grace abounded much more. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace must reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Much more. Those wonderful words referring to the justification, the reconciliation, the abounding grace that comes from God the Father through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. And no wonder Paul used these two words much more five times in this passage. We discover that the law entered that the offense might abound in verse 20. It's a Greek word, therefore, abound. It means to do or to make, to be more or to increase. But as we continue, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. 
And that Greek word means to superabound, to abound more exceedingly. This grace, this charis, uh, the goodwill, the loving kindness of the Father, it's obtained because of the favor of God. God's grace abounding toward us. And although sin reigned from Adam to Moses, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. As we know, the Bible telling us in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes him, him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this free gift of God's abounding grace has been made available to all mankind through faith in his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. This free gift speaks about the reconciliation that comes from God through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. It speaks about the freedom that is found in Jesus. Where Jesus said in John 8.36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. If Jesus has made you free, you are free indeed. Don't ever doubt that. Don't ever doubt the gift that the Lord has given to us through the work of Jesus upon the cross. I think when we doubt those things, we doubt because we begin to look at our own works, our own motives. And we forget that it's not by works. It's a free gift. Charisma, it is God's favor toward us. And grace reigns through the righteousness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. This free gift, here in Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, we discovered that death reigned because of one, and because of the one, Adam. We are all our father's children, sinners in need of a, a savior, Jesus. But life reigns because of one, the one Jesus Christ, who gave his life upon the cross. And as a result of these, in verses 18 through 21, grace reigns through righteousness. Grace reigns through this righteousness that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And you know, it's a free gift. And although the gift has been given, a gift must be received. We know that, right? We understand that you have to receive the gift. Have you ever received a Christmas card and kind of forgot about it? You might have. I know I have. But sometimes maybe I set it down and something else gets set on top of it. It was a while ago. I was cleaning my desk at my house and I was going through cards. And whether it was a Christmas card or birthday cards and stuff, I discovered that we had gift cards that was totally forgotten about. It's like, we can go out to eat for free. We have these gifts that we hadn't used. And, and I know that every company out there that gives gift cards love that because a lot of them get forgotten. And from the company's perspective, it's free money for them because people didn't use their gift cards. The Lord our Father gave the greatest gift that was ever given through sending his son. But just because the gift has been given, it has to be received. 
I know that I'm speaking to a church that understands that. But perhaps I'm speaking to someone who's listening on the radio or on the recording of this. May I encourage you to receive that gift from Jesus today. Father, we pray that you would be with us, Lord, and I pray that we would know that we have for a surety received that free gift that has been made available through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if not, Lord, may we do so today by just accepting the gift that is available to us through the confession of our sin, the receiving of Jesus Christ as our Savior, that gift then is made available to us. And Lord, we not only receive the gift of salvation, but Lord, life everlasting. May we know this, Lord, not just intellectually understand it, but Lord, may we intimately come to that knowledge that we are saved and that we have received the gift that our Savior Jesus has made available to each of us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.